Hey, we are going to jump into this morning's message in just a little bit because we've got some kind of fun church family business to do. Celebrate it! It is. It's good news. So um, as you know, if you were around at Christmas time, uh, we collected our Advent Conspiracy offering this year um, to address the mental health crisis that really is taking place in our community. And we said that we do not want to shrink back from that difficult issue. We want to move toward it. And um, so we're partnering with different organizations. There's also things that we're going to do. And um, you guys blew me away. This is amazing. I have here on this little thing. Drum roll. I'll take a little drum roll. I'll take a little drum roll. (laughs) You guys, this year's Advent Conspiracy was $136,000. Are you kidding me? $544.14. That's awesome. That is the most that this church has ever given. That is amazing. Um, And we're excited. We already um, wrote some checks to partner with people through some suicide prevention programs, through the Athletes uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and uh, there's a lot that we're looking forward to doing. So Yeah, th- this is one of those uh, checks that comes in and you say, normally Advent Conspiracy is something that we just, wow, rah, rah, and then and we write a off. check to somebody else. This year, we've got to execute it. It's yep. us that is going to dive into this head, head, head first as a church. And so we're going to jump into this and make a difference in the lives of these kids and in the lives of our community. I was thinking about when a company makes an imis- initial public offering, they sell their stock. The reason they do that, all those, you know, leads of the company are billionaires on paper, but they honestly don't have any money. They raise that money to pump into the company so they can grow to the next level. And that's what this money is all about. It's about us doing what we said we were going to do. And so we're going to jump into it full force this year. Yeah, I'm just so humbled, though. I'm so thankful. Um, We recognize that this is a huge need in our community. Families are struggling. Kids are struggling. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. Uh, Let's do this thing together. So uh, so that's family business number one. What else? Family business number two is one of the ways that we're jumping into the fray right away with kids and mental health and families right now is starting next weekend, Upward Basketball comes back to First Baptist Church. For the next eight, yes, give me that. Come on, give me a few of those. For the next, like, eight weekends, we will have thousands of people coming through our church, literally through the lobby, into the gym, out the back door, and continuing revolving door all day long from, like, shoot, 5.30 in the afternoon on Friday to almost 10 o'clock at night, and 8 o'clock in the morning all the way until, like, 9 o'clock at night on Saturday. So it is a massive deal, and before we do that, we definitely want God's covering in prayer. And so we are going to ask for a prayer commissioning this morning for Upward. There's a few of my Upward people. There's Roman. Get up here. Ken, get up here. Basketball. Where's Steve? Steve's one of our game day commissioners. Get up here. Pat's one of our referee commissioners. Do I got any other coaches? Come on. Is there more people who want to come up here and get prayed for? Coaches, referees, anybody? Look at Doug Eddy back there. Get up here, Doug. Make it like you, it matters, brother. You gotta. I mean, Doug has to ref games. You gotta move quicker than that, bro. <laughs> He's saving his energy. You, you gotta move quicker than that. If you are part of up, where's Tammy? Is Tammy hiding here? She's in the nursery. Tammy has been working her tail off up until now. Yeah, look at that. There's our coaches, right? Get on. We are, we are uh, a team that is going to have to execute all the plans that we've been putting together for a long time. April Van Groningen is actually out sick and our cheer Uh-oh, commissioner. But that's yeah. not good. 
I'm going to ask Glenn to pray for us because oh. I need it as bad as everybody else. And uh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, would you guys just bow your heads with me and let's pray for this significant opportunity that we have. God, I just look at some of these men standing here on the stage and I know they represent literally hundreds of volunteers, hundreds of people that are, are putting their effort out to make a huge difference in the life of these kids. Lord, it's 1,100 kids and their families um, and our community needs upward basketball this year. We need it badly. And so I pray, Lord, that you would not only watch over this league, um, that you would keep it safe and healthy and strong. Uh, but Lord, I also pray that you would just do great things in the lives of, of each one of these kids and these families. We thank you for uh, people that are sacrificing uh, so much of their time and their talents to, to be a part of this. And we pray that great things would happen. Lord, over these next eight weeks, we hold this church and, and ourselves with an open hand saying, God, have your way. Um, we thank you for it. We pray your blessing. I pray for all of the details for excuse me, Steve and others that are leading that. And we just commit them to you, Lord, in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, you guys. This is just a representation here, but appreciate it. Well, hey, we are going to go ahead and jump into our message. But first, let's dismiss kids to Children's Church. And so a grade six and down, we've got something special for you guys. You are dismissed. And today we are introducing our new theme for the year. And before we uh, get into the message, we've got a little video that we're going to watch. So go ahead and turn your attention up here. I've been wrestling with purpose. (coughs) What was I created for? I'm more than what you see on the surface. See beneath my skin and scars. I'm skinned and scarred, marred and twisted, scarred by the past I need to be lifted. And sometimes I question my own existence. What was I put here for? In my seams, it seems that there seems to be more. It's like I'm a light unplugged from the socket. I mean, do I really exist to put money in my pocket? This nine to five feels like a nine to nine. My mind entwined, I pass the time, life circles me as I wait. What is my estate? I feel like I was made for something great, and yet I can't quite put my finger on it. But when I look at my fingers and I see their design, I realize I'm one of a kind. And something created me. No, someone created me. And that someone made me for a reason. Even though it's clear the past years have been treason, I still sense this drawing, this calling, that even in the midst of my falling, there was someone who died to pick me up, someone who rose to fix me up, someone who's coming back to lift me up. And that someone is Jesus. See, God made me for a purpose. And when I delight in him, it's brought to the surface. All right. Well, hey, that video is called Made for Something Great. And I want you to know that I believe that about every single person that is here this morning. Um, I believe it because it's true of every one of us. You are not an accident. I, I know you know that, or at least you've heard that before. But let me say it to you. You are not an accident. You are made on purpose and for purpose. You were not put here either on this earth just to kind of survive, just to kind of make it through, just to kind of squeak through. You were made by God and for God. 
And today we are going to introduce our theme for 2022, which is built around this concept. And it's three simple words. And the three simple words are made for this. You were made for this. Now, here at First Baptist, over the last, I think it's been five years now, um, each year we have kind of an annual theme that kind of helps guide us through the year. It doesn't mean that that is the only thing that we talk about, um, but it, it kind of helps us choose the books of the Bible that we're going to study. It helps us choose kind of the topics and the themes um, that we're going to study, both here in our Sunday services and then also in our midweek uh, community groups as well. It also, by choosing an annual theme, kind of keeps us on track to systematically cover all of the big themes of the Bible, all of the big things, uh, themes of the Christian faith. And so just a little review, because um, if you don't remember all the way back to 2017, when we started with this, we started with the foundational theme of who is God. We wanted to start at the very beginning, who is God? And we looked at the books of Genesis and Exodus, and we saw the nature and the character uh, of God, someone who is all-powerful, all-holy, uh, eternal, creator of all things, and all-loving. And who is God? That study is simply called theology, the study of God. The next year, we turned the corner and we asked the question, who am I? Who are we as God's uh, created people? What is my identity, especially as a follower of Christ? And we talked about our identity as Christians with this question, who am I? The next year, uh, our theme was the incomparable Christ. Whenever you study Jesus or whenever you study uh, Christ, kind of in theological circles, that is called Christology, the study of Christ. As a church, we wanted to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and we did that. In 2020, our theme was We the Church, and we talked a lot about this idea that we don't just go to church or uh, we don't just, you know, the church is not a building, the church is not a service that we attend. We don't go to church. We are the church. And we had no idea at the beginning of 2020 how significant that theme was going to be because church was going to look different that year. And yet we weren't just only confined to a building. We were the church, the family of God, no matter what that looked like. And one of the reasons that you and us as a church have, you know, kind of weathered so well is this idea that we are more than just a building. We are the family of God. When you study church, the big theological word for that is ecclesiology. And so we spent time on ecclesiology. Last year, our theme was we believe. We believe we wanted to talk about some of the big doctrines of the Christian faith, some of the, the never-changing truths of, of Christianity, and as well as what it means to be people that are faith-filled people and that walk by faith. When you study faith, that is called by scholars pistology, pistology. And that brings us to 2022, and our theme for the year, as we said, is made for this. Made for this. And at the core of this theme is what we want to call missiology. Because I believe and we believe that ultimately we are designed by God and for his glory. We are made for God's glory. And we best glorify God when we live our life for him. And a way to say that is we live our life on mission for him. Now I know for some of you, you just got really nervous. Because you think for the next 12 months, seriously, you're going to be telling me all the time that I need to, to leave my life and go be a missionary in Africa or, or you know, Bangladesh or, you know, somewhere like that. Um, and for some of us, that may be true. That, that may be what God calls us to. But for the vast majority of us, we're not necessarily called to, to leave our life, but rather we're called to live our normal, everyday, 
go to work, go to school, live in my neighborhood, love my family, do my life tasks for God's glory, with God at the center of things. I see all that I do as an opportunity to serve Him and to live on mission. It starts like this. It means every day at the beginning of the day, my first thought is, God, I am yours. I am here reporting for duty. You are my master. You are the officer in charge. I am here reporting for duty. Here's what I have in my hand. It is yours. You uh, do what you want. What do you have for me today? And just as we sang, the stars in the sky were designed by God to glorify Him and to point people to Him. And the rocks were made to cry out and to bring Him glory and to point people to Him. As God's created beings, we are made to glorify and point people to God. And we do that by a life on mission. So that's our theme for the year. Now, when you ask this question, what am I made for? What is the purpose in life? Obviously, that's a a big question. There's a lot of uh, debate. There's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of ideas on this question. What am I made for? In fact, if you just Google that question, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend, but if you did, it comes back with no joke, like nine billion answers to the question, what am I made for? Um, So I've been going through those one by one this week. And um, the first two and a half million are basically like quizzes to help you find the right job. Um, So we worked through those. There's a lot about um, finding happiness and fun in life, kind of the he who dies with the most toys wins uh, mentality. There's a lot that talk about the purpose of life is to to win or to advance your purpose um, and your agenda, kind of like Conan the Barbarian. You got this is stretching your, your, <coughs> your history. But Conan the Barbarian was asked this question, what is the meaning of life? And he said, to crush your enemies, to see them driven before you and to hear the lamentations of their women. And he went on to become our governor. Um, and so he must have been on to something there. That was the meaning of life. A lot of people have kind of the, what I call the Disney view of life, which is just follow your dreams and kind of find that inner princess or inner prince or whatever it is and kind of achieve that. Obviously, religion says a lot about this question. It's the biggest question in life. And so religions talk a lot about this. So for the Buddhists, they would say that the goal of life is to alleviate suffering and, and to move past to beyond suffering. For the Muslim, they would say that the, the goal is to please Allah and they have the five pillars of their faith. And if they live those pillars out and their good outweighs their bad and when they get to the end of their life, that is the purpose uh, of life. Uh, for the Hindu, the goal is to see the, the ultimate goal of achieving some sort of spiritual enlightenment. So there's all sorts of religious answers to the question. Interesting, for Christians, this is actually kind of a misunderstood part of our faith because when you kind of talk about what is the purpose for me, what is my purpose, it's kind of tricky because the foremost answer is not about me. The foremost answer is really about God. A few years ago, Rick Warren wrote the the humongous best-selling book, A Purpose-Driven Life, and the, the first opening words of it, it is about your purpose is, it's not about you. He says all the time that's a pretty ironic way to begin a book that became literally one of, if not the best-selling kind of self-help books uh, of all time. It's not about you. And he talks about the biblical purposes that we have. But long before Rick Warren ever started to write about a purpose-driven life, I want to take you back to uh, to 
kind of ancient England, or back to at least 1643. In 1643 in England, it was a difficult time. Ironically, they were facing a, a plague. There was great kind of strife and civil war among the British Isles. And so the parliament called together uh, over a hundred of the greatest scholars and leaders of the church and leaders in the, in the nation to come together and to meet at Westminster Abbey, Westminster Abbey in London. And they called them together because they were going, asking them to give new direction to not only the Church of England, but really new direction to the nation. They gathered together and for the next three years, they debated and they prayed and they studied and they went back and forth. And what came out of that meeting is known as the the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's actually a document that, that many churches still kind of follow as a, a, a guide for theology and, and what it means to follow after God. And in the Westminster Confession of Faith, there's two documents. There's a shorter catechism and a longer catechism. And the shorter catechism begins with this question. This is the first question. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of mankind? What is this world all about? What is my purpose? And the answer is this. The chief end of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what the purpose is about. It's not just about you. It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him, to be in relationship with Him, a relationship that begins here on earth but lasts forever into eternity. And it's kind of like what the the psalmist says. The psalmist says it like this, the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it belong to God. In other words, it's not about us. We are made to glorify God. And a primary way we do that is we live our life on mission. And so that's what we're going to spend our time uh, focusing on this year. We're going to look at some great uh, books of the Bible, some great character studies, um, some great themes as we talk about what does it mean to be people that recognize that this day we are made for this time. Uh, And I'm, I'm super excited about it. Well, hey, before we jump into our actual passage for the morning, because this is kind of a, an overview of, of the, the year, kind of a, at least pointing us in the direction that we're going, I want to address uh, another topic that you might uh, have in mind. And the question is, why would you choose this topic? And specifically, why now? Why in 2022 would we choose this made for this topic? And the answer is, we chose to study living our life on mission as a church Because we are convinced that our world needs Christ now more than ever. More than ever before, our world needs Christian people living who we're meant to be, right? We're called to live as as his people. You know, for a while now, there have been a lot of changes that have been taking place in in our culture. Uh, in the, the way that people think, in the way people approach some of the big issues, issues of faith and, and, and life and some of those kind of things. And that's been kind of going on for a long time now, but then COVID came along and all of kind of the social upheaval of the world and just kind of took all this stuff and like shook it out and poured it out on, on fast forward. And it just seems like there's so many changes in the world that are at warp speed. And yet, here's what I want to assure you of this morning. As the world changes, God never does. God never changes. God's message never changes. His mission for his people to glorify him and to make him known never changes. And so we can be assured in that. 
Now, we want to be wise about the days that we live in, right? We want to be wise about the culture, just as as Jesus and the apostles were. They wanted to know about the days that they live in. And so, how do we have this unchanging mission and this unchanging message, even in the world um, that we live in? That's one of the reasons we're we're studying this. Um, I'm reading a book right now uh, by a guy by the name of John Mark Comer. It's called Live No Lies. Uh, Ironically, John Mark Comer is a, a theologically conservative, but he's not like a culture warrior, you know, conservative guy like that. If, if anything, he's a millennial pastor from Portland, and yet he's looked around at his church and his world, and he says there's some things um, that are changing in the world. And he says there are three seismic shifts within Christianity and culture, or within culture and how they look at Christianity. And I just wanted to go over those these real quick. And, and let me just warn you, you're not going to like any of these. In fact, when I see them, they give me a pit in my stomach. And yet that doesn't mean that we can't face these things, be honest about them, and ask, what's our role in a world like this? So the first seismic shift in Christianity and culture is a move in the church from a majority position to minority, from majority to minority in our culture. So 65% of American adults, which is actually higher than I thought, 65% still identify themselves as Christian. However, we're seeing this number on a very steady decline, especially among younger generations, which might be about half of that. In fact, for the first time in our nation's history last year in 2021, it was the first time in American history when less than 50% of the people said that they belonged and were connected to a religious institution. So this wasn't even just the church. This was a a church, a mosque, a synagogue. Less than 50% said that they had any religious connection to a, a group. The fastest growing religious segment in, uh, in the United States and most of the Western world is the nuns, right? And I'm not talking about the, the Catholic ladies that wear the, the habits. I don't think that's growing very fast. But the nuns are when you have to check a box, what religion do you belong to? They check the box, none. And so church is moving from a place where we were in a majority position to more of a minority. And so the church is going to stand out as different and be at odds with the culture which we were never promised wouldn't take place. So that's the first kind of cultural shift. The second one, and all of these are along the same lines, is moving from a place of honor to a place of shame, from a place of honor to a place of shame. And I think that word shame is a little harsh, but that was his word. Um, But the concept behind this is for most of my 30 years as a pastor, I knew, of course, that not everybody believed like I do. They didn't believe like I do about Jesus, about some of these big things. But at least there was kind of a respect among the majority of the non-Christian people that, that Christian morality and the church and some of those kind of things were good and were positive influences in society. And while I still think many, many people hold to that idea that the church is a positive influence in society, there is a growing vocal minority, a vocal minority that that wants to just shout a narrative that the church is actually a part of the problem, not a part of the solution. And so they look at (coughs) issues and they say Christian beliefs on, on things like the value of life or sexuality or gender are actually intolerant or, or repressive, and they want to kind of make that this, this narrative. And yet, if you dig into some of these issues, it's like take, for instance, the issue of, of sexuality over the last 50 to 70 years of what sociologists would call kind of the, the sexual revolution. If you look at kind of the progression away from kind of a biblical definition of sexuality, what you find in our culture actually is more dysfunction, 
more confusion, more dissatisfaction, as well as exploitation of the vulnerable, exploitation of women and children through pornography and trafficking. All that stuff is way more rampant than it's ever been before. And yet the devil likes to sell this narrative of look how progressive things are and how much better things are. And so Christianity is moving from that place of of honor to where not everybody's going to appreciate it. Some are going to question it. Along those same lines is moving from widespread tolerance to rising hostility. And while we may not experience, and you may not experience a lot of this here in livable, lovable Lodi, maybe you do in your workplace or your family, I don't know. Um, But while you may or may not experience it too much here in Lodi, and and I think overall a church like First Baptist in Lodi enjoys a good reputation in our community, and and I hear that all the time from people inside and outside the church, Um, still we see that there's a rising hostility in the culture to those who hold to a biblical Christianity. And, and uh, while we don't know what that hostility and even the persecution that may come is going to look like, the point I'm trying to make is we need not be surprised by these things. We need to be ready. We need to be living ready. Well, hey, isn't that great news? That was fun. That was super fun. What a bummer. I share all that with you not to make you scared. I don't share that with you to make you mad or discouraged, but rather to say, now more than ever before, it's time for Jesus' people to live on mission. We are made for this. We are made for this moment. We are made for this time. Jesus did not make a mistake by planting this church and planting you and planting me in the very culture and in the very time that we live. We are made for this. And what we do is we wake up every day and we say, okay, God, here I am. I'm reporting for duty. Here's what's in my hand. It's yours. What do you have for me today? Who can I love in your name? How can I be a light? How can I, how can I, you know, bring truth? How can I bring love? How can I bring grace into this world that you're called in, that you've called me to? Because my chief end is not about my own life. It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so that's why it's so significant that we study this right now at this time. Well, for just our remaining time together, we have kind of just a short time left, um, I do want to take a look at a a passage from Scripture where we actually see that God calls one of his people um, onto a a, a life of mission. And it's the kind of mission um, where God is going to send him out, and it's not going to be an easy one. It's going to be a very challenging one for him. And I'm talking specifically about Moses. And we read this story in Exodus 3 and 4. So if you want to open your Bible to Exodus 3 and 4, um, I just want us to see God's calling of Moses into a life on mission as well. So as you're turning there, you might remember the situation. God's people are living as slaves in Egypt. Um, It's been horrible for hundreds of years, and they've been living under the oppressive thumb of Pharaoh. And so God's people start to, to cry out, and they say, God, deliver us. And God hears their prayer, and this is what we read in Exodus 3, beginning in verse 1, where it says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and I will see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. 
Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. (coughs) Excuse me. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then down in verse 10 it says, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So in other words, God says to Moses, I have a mission for you. And if you know the story of Moses, you know that Moses has a lot of concerns, a lot of fears, a lot of doubts about what God is calling him to do. And so what I want us to do is I want to see some things that God specifically sends Moses with as he calls him out. Um, because while some of this is, or a lot of it is, there's a, it's a very supernatural encounter that Moses has with God. But the reality is, is these three, these three things that God sends Moses with are the very same things that God sends us with still today. So I want us to take a look at that. Starting with, when God calls Moses to a mission, he sends him out, and he sends him out with his presence. God's presence is with him. So Moses is out, and he's just minding his own business there, uh, doing his job as a shepherd when he sees this, this burning bush. This bush is on fire and not burning up. And that seems kind of weird, and so he goes over. And, and if you thought a burning bush would, was weird, next it becomes a, a talking bush. And the bush starts to talk to him. It says, Moses, Moses, um, here I am. And the first thing the bush tells Moses is, is, Moses, take off your sandals because the place that you're standing is, is holy ground. It's sacred ground. Now, that's kind of strange because I'll be honest, I've been to that desert. There is nothing very sacred or special about that. It is, it is not high-value real estate. It is barren and dry. Anything that grows there is, is not nothing much at all. And so, obviously, there's nothing special about the ground, but God still says that it's holy. It's also kind of interesting because Moses had been working as a shepherd for at least a few years now in that area. So surely he'd been right at that place before. So it's not like it was a a new or a unique place to Moses. And so it wasn't that it was a nice place. It wasn't was a new. It was nothing that was unique about it. So what made it holy ground? Well, obviously it was God's presence there that made it holy ground. God says, this is holy ground because I am here with you, Moses. Now, if I could be honest with you, as we are here at the start of 2022, I don't know how you're feeling about kind of going into this year, but it's been a struggle for me. It's been hard for me, and that's not like me. Normally, I am full of optimism. I got all kinds of ideas and and vision. I feel like I'm heading into 2022, and I'm like just peeking around the corner, kind of afraid at, you know, what's going to come barreling down the road at us next. And so I don't know if that's how, how you feel. I don't know if you've got that excitement, but can I tell you something about this year that we live in 2022? Maybe part of it, some of that stuff that I just talked about, but can I tell you something about this time and this age that we live in? 2022, you guys, is holy ground. This is holy, sacred time. Why? Because God is with us, and we were made for this time. 
I may not know what to do. I may not have all this stuff. But God, here I am today because this is the day that you've called me to live in. And, and, and I am yours and I am reporting for duty. And so because of that, this is holy ground. And God says, I'm sending you out on mission, but I'm not sending you alone. I go with you. And because of that, it's sacred. It's special. It's holy. In fact, when God sends his disciples out, when, or Jesus does at the end of Jesus' life, he sends his disciples out to change the world. And you remember this, this passage from Matthew 28. He says, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely what? I am with you always. You guys, this is holy ground because God is present with us. And God is here, and he sends us out, and he stays with us, not for a little bit, but to the very end of the age. I get how Moses feels. In fact, Moses was going to come to really depend on God's presence. Later on, he says it like this. He says, God, unless your presence goes with me, don't even send me out. And that's how I feel about this year. But God promises that his presence does go with us. So that's the first thing. The second thing is when God calls Moses to mission, he sends him out with his name. He sends him out specifically with his name. You see, in Egypt, where Moses was going, there was a great pantheon of gods. Remember, uh, Moses grew up in Egypt, so he was very familiar with kind of the religious climate of Egypt. And there were hundreds and hundreds of different gods. And all of them had a specific name and a specific role. So, for instance, there was Apis, who was the, 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 the bull god or the, the god over the cattle. There was Ra, the, the sun god. There was Osiris, the god of the Nile River. There was a frog goddess. There was a crocodile god. And all of these, on and on, hundreds of them, and they all had specific names. And so God said, or Moses said, God, if you're going to send me there to Egypt, I'm going to at least need to know what your name is, because they're going to ask me what your name is. And in verse 14, God answers him, and he says this, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am is God's most sacred name. In Hebrew, it's the word Yahweh. It speaks of his ever-present nature, that he's, he's, he's never changing who he was in the past, the creator and, and beginner of all life. He is in the present, and he is the one who sustains into the future. He, he is the one who is always there. He is the all-powerful one. He is Yahweh. He was a name so sacred that Jewish people wouldn't even pronounce the name out loud. In fact, we don't know 100% that you even say it like Yahweh because no one would pronounce it, that they added some vowels in to, to kind of make it a pronounceable um, word because it speaks to the sacred nature uh, of God. And so Yahweh became the, the name that Moses and others could use to describe their all-powerful God. But here's what's fascinating to me about this name Yahweh. It actually appears about 6,500 times in the Old Testament. So that's a lot. Uh, and often it is paired with another word that is like an attribute or a character that describes God. So for instance, um, when a person is sick and they're in a, a time and they need a healer, God reveals himself as Yahweh Rapha. Yahweh Rapha. I am who I am and I am the Lord who heals. 
So the the two are combined together. Or when someone recognizes that God's so holy that you can't approach him and you need to offer a sacrifice and you need forgiveness. He says to the people, I am Yahweh Sidkenu. I am the Lord, your righteousness. You can find righteousness through me. When David is all alone and fearing for his life and isn't sure which way to go and is feeling down and depressed, God reveals himself to, to David as Yahweh Roy. I am the Lord, your shepherd. I will never leave you. And when the people faced this battle and, and had to go into something they felt like it was beyond what they could, could, could even achieve on their own, God would say to them, I am Yahweh Shema. I am the Lord, the, the ever-present one. Shema, the, the, the one who is present. And the point is, is that God calls Moses out to a life of mission. And it's going to be challenging. But not only does he send him with his presence, but he sends him with this knowledge that unlike all these other little gods that he's going to encounter in Egypt and other places, he goes with the one who is all-powerful, the never-changing one. And as you and I say, yes, God, here I am reporting for duty, and we go out and we live this life, we are going to face challenges and there are going to be difficulties and there are going to be people that push back and there's going to be struggles that we face and we need to know that we don't go alone. We go with the all-powerful God who not only is there for us but is what we need when we need it. He is Yahweh. And that's what God sends Moses out with and it's what he sends us out with. And then last but not least, when God calls Moses to mission, he sends him out with his shepherd's staff. He sends him out with a shepherd's staff, which to Moses uh, was just a shepherd's staff, but to God, it was so much more. <clears throat> so look at uh, the beginning of chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, where uh, I said Moses has a lot of questions and doubts. And so Moses answers and he says, well, what if, what if they do not believe me? Or what if they don't listen to me and, and say the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord, Yahweh, says to him, this is what uh, he said, said to him, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? A staff, Moses replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a, stake, a snake. And then he, re- and he ran from it. But then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. So God gives Moses this miraculous sign that his staff is going to be used for all sorts of miraculous things. And that is unique to Moses. As far as I know, I don't think any of us have kind of this magic staff in the way that that Moses did. But the question that God asks Moses is not unique to Moses. Because remember what God asked him? He says, Moses, hey, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Now, whenever God asks a question, God is not asking that question because he doesn't know the answer to it. God knows perfectly well what is in Moses' hand. He asks for Moses' purpose, and he asks for our purpose as well. Because when God says, what's in your hand, and Moses looks down and he sees this shepherd's staff, that would have represented a few different things to Moses. Think this through. Moses is a shepherd living out there in the, the desert, and so that shepherd's staff was his tool of his trade. It represented his identity. It's what he did. It's who he was. Who are you, Moses? I'm a shepherd. How do you know I've got this staff? It's what I'm about. It's my identity. 
But more than just that, it would have represented his, his income. Of course, in those days, nobody had a, a savings account, nobody had a credit card, nobody had a retirement account. What did you have? You had the sheep that you owned, and all of your assets were tied up in, in what you owned. And so that tool that he had in his hand is what he did to take care of his income or his, his affluence, you might say. And then he also would have looked down and he would have seen in his hand something that represented the influence that he had. How did he guide these sheep around? How did he chase off the bad guys? He used this staff. It was the influence and he guided them by hook or by crook to do what they needed to do. And so God asked them the question, Moses, what's in your hand? But you see it's so much more than just a shepherd's staff. You know what it is for Moses? It's all those things that people hold on to and believe are the things that life is all about. My job, my money, my influence, the things I own, the pile of stuff that I have, the stuff that I do. And God says, what's in your hand? And then he says this, he says, throw it down. Because Moses then throws it down and what happens? It comes to life. In Moses' hand, it's just a little staff. In God's hand, it becomes the thing that Moses uses to do miraculous things. For the next 40 years, we're going to read about this staff. In fact, it stops being called just the staff of Moses. It often is called from this point on the rod of God. It's the rod of God because Moses took what was in his hand and he let it go. And he said, here I am, God. What I have is yours. I am reporting for duty. I'm terrified. I don't know what's going to happen. I have a lot of doubts but what I have is yours. And so First Baptist Church 2022, we're called. We're made for this. We're made for this time. We're made for this, this place in history. We're made for this place in our city and in our, in our state. And God asks each and every one of us a question. And the question is this, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What is the influence that you have? Who are the people that you know? What's your affluence? What assets do you have? What income do you have? What's your identity? Who do you see yourself really as ultimately? Because when you begin to release those things into God's hand and say, God, all of that stuff is not where I'm going to find my ultimate purpose. That's not what I was made for. I was made for you. You know what happens? The world begins to change and our lives do too. So I'm excited for this year. I can't wait to be on this journey together with you. And for now, let me just close this with a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for a chance to open up your word and be reminded that um, from Moses all the way down, you call your people out in challenging times to do challenging things and you go before them. And so here we are, Lord, in 2022. And some are excited about it. Some of us are a little nervous about it. But Lord, you send us out with your presence and with the power of your name. And with the reminder that everything that we own surrendered to you is enough to make a huge difference. So I pray, Lord, for myself and for each and every one of us as we think through what this means. Use us, Lord, as a church. We offer ourselves to you. Here we are, Lord. We are your people. We are your church reporting for duty. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen.